turn with me again to 1 Peter as we continue to work our way through this rich book of the Bible. I hope you're seeing that. So much good uh, spiritual help in 1 Peter. And we're going to pick up this morning in chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. Let us hear God's word. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be our teacher today. By the Holy Spirit, would you take your word? Would you open our eyes to to see its truth, our ears to hear its message, our hearts to receive its grace, and give us the grace to apply it, that we might, might be changed and transformed by it, because we want to be more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. You know, perspective matters. Perspective uh, largely determines your state of mind, your sense of success or failure, uh, your attitude, and your level of contentment. Your perspective matters. We talk a lot in the church, especially in our church, about having a biblical perspective. And you know, my own position is that many of the ills that we see in our country and around the world are because people don't live with this biblical Perspective. Well, a part of having a biblical perspective is having what we call an eternal perspective. And we saw Peter begin to mention that eternal perspective last week in the first six verses from this chapter. Because there you might remember that he told us that those who might malign us or those who might persecute us or those who might cause us to suffer for our faith will be held accountable for it someday in eternity. So you can take it. You can endure it. You can bear it without feeling you have to retaliate or get even because you know God will take his own revenge and hold them accountable someday. But also, we saw last week that eternal life is the great hope of the gospel. The promise of the gospel is that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that's held up for us as our great hope that one day when this life is over, we will spend eternity in heaven. And now Peter continues that thought in verses 7 through 11. 
where he makes it clear that our eternal perspective not only impacts the way we view life, but also the way that we live life. You see, the more you keep your eyes fixed on the promise of heaven and the assurance that one day you will spend eternity with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in heaven, the more it will impact and change your life here. The more you have this eternal perspective, the more it will transform and change your, your perspective and approach to life. When you lose that perspective, when you lose your focus, then you miss the target that you've set for yourself. You remember what Jesus said. No one who after putting his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom of heaven. Now I'm not a farmer, not the son of a farmer, but years ago I did try to have a garden. And I bought a tiller. I'd use the tiller to, to break up the soil, but I learned something real fast. And that is, if I want to have a straight row, I need to keep looking straight ahead. And if I look back with some kind of pride at what I'd done in tilling up my row already, know for sure, I would know for sure that my tiller would turn to the one way or the other and my row would be crooked. Perspective matters. It's as we keep our focus fixed upon Christ that then we're able to continue to press on in life as we ought to do. Paul tells us in Colossians 3, set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. And so perspective matters, and that's what Peter's talking about in our passage, and I want us to look at it this morning. What does it mean to have this eternal perspective? Well, for one thing, it means to believe in the imminent or soon return of Jesus. Peter says it plainly in verse 7, doesn't he? The end of all things is near. That's clear. Peter's referring to the second coming of Jesus. And most of the believers in the early church believed that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. Remember, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you myself, that where I am, there you may be also. The early believers believed that promise. They believed it so much, they believed that it would be fulfilled in their lifetime. And so there was this sense of urgency in their lives. And you, you read through the, the, the New Testament, through the letters, whether Paul or Peter or John, each one of them has this sense, this assurance, really, that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. And that's how... You see, Jesus wants every believer in every generation to live. You might remember referring to the second coming, Jesus said this, of that day or hour, no one knows, not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. And you remember what Jesus' conclusion was from that? Therefore, be on the alert. For centuries... Christians have lived with that awareness. Maybe it is 
today. No one knows, Jesus said. It could be today, couldn't it? Or it could be another 2,000 years. Because the Bible says that a thousand years is as one day to the Lord. But here's the point from the text. Your perspective on the return of Christ matters. If you have a lackadaisical attitude toward the return of Christ and you think it's something way off in the distance and you're just confident it will never happen, never could happen in your lifetime, then it's going to have a negative effect on your obedience, your holiness, your morality. But if you live with that sense in the back of your mind that Jesus just could come on any day, at any time, that really will have a sanctifying effect upon your life. And that's why Jesus says, be on the alert. And here Peter says it matter-of-factly. The end of all things is near. He believed it, and so should we. Then second, to live with this eternal perspective not only means that we believe in the imminent return of Christ, but also that we live. We live our lives in the light of Jesus' return. You see, the the second coming of Christ is not just some abstract theological truth that we study or some complicated idea over which theologians argue. But it's something, as we've just pointed out, that changes our hearts and transforms our lives. As I said a moment ago, the more you grip the reality that Jesus is coming and that he could come at any moment, the more obedient and the more holy your life will be. Nothing really makes you want to be more like Christ than an expectation of the imminent return of Christ. Now Peter lists seven specific ways that this eternal perspective and living in the light of Christ's return will change or transform your life. The key word in verse 7 really is the word therefore. The end of all things is near. Therefore, he says, live this way. And he gives us seven ways that this eternal perspective ought to to impact our lives. And I want to touch on each one of them briefly. One of them is that having this eternal perspective will lead us to live with what he calls, in my text, sound judgment and sober spirit. I'm taking those two things together because they are so closely related in meaning. To have sound judgment means to be in your right mind or... Uh, to have self-control, to have a sober spirit means to be serious-minded, level-headed, or or simply be mature in your thinking. You see, it has to do with your thought process, how you make your decisions, how we think. Uh, To have sound judgment and to be of sober spirit helps us to avoid falling into false teaching, also helps us to avoid the temptation to sin. Having sound judgment, sober spirit, enables you to see things right, to analyze things in the right way, and make good decisions based upon the way that you're thinking 
soberly and with good judgment. Paul said, be sober, have sound judgment, and do not sin. Tying together those two things, thinking straight, thinking right, and the ability to to push away the temptation to sin. One of the characteristics of uh, an officer in the church, an elder in the church, is to be sober, to be sober-minded, to have good judgment as he analyzes the life of the congregation, makes decisions that affect the life and the work of the church. Uh, So we're to be, as we live in the light of Jesus' return, sober-minded and have sound judgment. Second, uh, living with this perspective will lead us to pray. In fact, Peter ties those two things together, doesn't he? In the text he says, Be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Wise people pray. People with sound judgment pray. Sober and serious-minded people pray. Some translations, maybe yours, renders it this way. Be serious and watchful in your prayers. But both perspectives are right. Living in this eternal perspective will drive you to pray, lead you to pray, motivate you to pray. But also it will enable you to be sober and wise as you pray. You might remember that Jesus scolded Peter for not doing this very thing. Remember the night before he was crucified, the night he was betrayed, he took Peter, James, and John into the Garden of Gethsemane with him, and he said, I'm going to go further. You what? Watch and pray. He came back three times, and what were they doing? They were sleeping. And Jesus admonished them, watch and pray. And it's almost as you can imagine those words still ring in Peter's ears. As under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he now tells us, look, you have good judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Now I want to say a couple of things about that. Again, the more realistically you view the second coming and anticipate it, the more earnestly and regularly and faithfully you will pray. Jesus says, in the light of his coming, be on the alert. And one of the ways we stay on the alert is by praying. And, again, as you pray, you will pray with sound judgment and sober spirits. The devil doesn't want you to pray. That's why prayer, for many of us, is so hard. How many of you, when you try to pray have trouble concentrating. How many of you, when you're praying, think of ten other things that you could be doing? How many of you, when you pray, tend to doze off to sleep? Be watchful. Be sober. Have good judgment as you pray. Having this eternal perspective will help you with that a lot. Then third... Having this eternal perspective will lead us to love others. Verse 8. 
Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. I just can't stress enough how important love is in the body of Christ. How important love is in the church. Jesus said, this is my commandment. This is my commandment. That you love one another just as I have loved you. You know, we we love to think about the way Jesus loves us, don't we? And we love to sing about the way Jesus loves us. We bask in his love for us. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. We sing, oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. And Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. But don't you understand, if we really grasp what it means to be loved by Jesus, we will love others too. It's what being loved by Jesus leads us to be. It leads us to love one another. Look at that again, how Peter puts it here. Above all, as though it is the thing that is most important Keep fervent in your love for one another. Love is the supreme Christian virtue. That's why we read from 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. Now abide faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. 1 John 4.11 says, If God so loved us, then we ought also to love one another. Again, here Peter says, it is the thing above everything else. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. That word fervent denotes strenuous effort. It was used in Peter's day to describe a runner who was racing for the finish line with every ounce of his strength and energy, working at it. And that's how Peter says we're to to love one another, we're to work at it. Let's be honest. Sometimes we have to work at loving some people, don't we? Some people are hard to love. It takes hard work. I know it takes hard work for some people to love me. Peter says, look, be fervent in it. Work at it. Make an effort. Make an effort to love those who are hard to love. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another The more we have this eternal perspective, the more we'll work hard at it. Fourth, this eternal perspective will lead us to look to forgive others. Now, this all ties together. Certainly a big part of loving others is the willingness to forgive them. And Peter ties it together in verse 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. You've probably heard that phrase a lot, maybe heard it all your life and never knew it came from 1 Peter chapter 4. Love covers a multitude of sins. Whether it's the, the, the love of God for us or our love for others, love forgives. I want you to notice what the text says. As love covers sin. Then say love excuses sin. Love does not condone sin. Love forgives it. The loving thing is not to turn your head and act like the sin didn't occur. 
to ignore it, sweep it under the rug. The loving thing is to deal with it. And as believers, we deal with it by forgiving it. That's the way God deals with our sin, isn't it? He doesn't just ignore it. He doesn't just act like it didn't happen. He put our sin upon His Son so that He could forgive it. And here, Peter says that we're to forgive one another. Love covers, forgives a multitude of sin. And then fifth, this eternal perspective will lead us to greater hospitality. And this too, of course, is tied, isn't it, with our love for one another. If we love others, we'll forgive them. If we love others, we'll be hospitable to them. Look at verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Now it's true that hospitality is a gift. And some people have it and some people really don't. Some people feel comfortable having people in their homes, for example, and sharing meals with them. And to use your home regularly as an avenue or place of ministry is a real gift. But all of us are to to show hospitality to others, an expression of our love for others. And, And it's interesting, Peter says we're to do it without complaining about it. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And I really believe this extends beyond the home. I'm not sure really the focus is on the home here. One of the places where we ought to show the greatest hospitality is right here. We ought to be hospitable people. Now, I can't imagine anyone walking into your home, your own home, and you're not greeting them, speaking to them, saying, I'm glad you're here. Do you need something? This is God's house. And, and when someone that you don't know, someone new walks in this church, man, we're to be hospitable to them. We're to reach out to them. We're to make them feel welcome. I saw someone doing that this morning. Just warmed my heart. I saw somebody walk over and shake one someone's hands relatively near. Just warm my heart. Folks, that's what we're to be about as the body of Christ. God forbid that anyone will ever walk into this church, sit on the back row, and leave, and no one spoke to them. I had that experience in a PCA church. Some of you know the story. It's not in my notes. It's going to make me run long. But y'all say don't worry about running long, so I'm not going to worry about it. Walking on PCA church with my son and my wife. Got in there between Sunday school and church. Sat on the back row right there where the Mars were sitting. People walked all the way around us. No one ever spoke to us. Don't ever let that happen here at North Point. Be hospitable. Make them feel loved cared for, welcome. They may go to another church. Lots of people come through these doors and go to another church. I understand that. That's fine. North Point's not for everybody. But don't let anyone ever 
go to another church because they said, those people didn't welcome me. Those people didn't reach out to me. No one spoke to me. No one cared about me. No one loved me. Sixth, this eternal perspective leads us to use our spiritual gifts and specifically to use our gifts in serving others. Look at verses 10 and the first part of 11. As each one has received a special gift, enjoy it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves to do so by, as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies each Christian has, a, has a, at least one spiritual gift. It's what Peter calls here a special gift. As each one has received a special gift. You know why it's special? It's special because it's your gift. And it's special because God has given that gift to you. God gives his gifts as a result of his grace. And we're to, we're to use these gifts, he says in verse 10, serving one another as, as stewards of the, of the manifold grace of God. That gift is given to you by God's grace, and you're to, you're to treasure that gift. You're, you're not to, to hide that gift and not use it. You're to use that gift because God gave it to you to use in the church. And, and I can assure you folks, if God has given to you a gift, the church needs it. The church needs it. The church needs you. And it needs you to use your gifts, whatever those gifts are. It might just be writing someone a note of encouragement. I mean, lifting up the phone and giving somebody a call and say, hey, I missed you Sunday. Doesn't that be a big thing? Doesn't that be teaching a class? Doesn't that be serving as an officer? Might just be a little thing, but a very, very important part of the ministry of the church. And then there's one more. And this kind of encompasses them all. Because having this eternal perspective leads us to live our lives for God's glory. Look at the end of verse 11. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Paul tells us, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. And here Peter says that God is to be glorified through what we do and how we live. And that's a good way to kind of gauge your life, isn't it? It's a good question to ask yourself sometimes before you, if you're not sure if you ought to do something or not. Go somewhere you're planning to go or not. Be involved in something. Ask yourself, is this, is this going to glorify God? Is, is God going to be glorified if I do this? Is it going to bring glory and honor to Him? After all, what does our catechism say? What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And you know how you can be sure that you'll enjoy Him forever then? If you seek to live for His glory. Man's chief end is to glorify God now so that we can enjoy Him forever then.
hope you see it. Perspective matters. And having this eternal perspective really matters in impacting, changing, transforming your life. So that you, you can live your life in obedience to God and to his word and live your life for his glory and for his honor, for your blessing, for the good of his church. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We love you. Thank you that you've given it to us as your, a gift of your grace. And pray we would apply this truth by your Holy Spirit to our hearts. We ask we be more like the way Peter describes here in this text as we keep our eyes upon Jesus, anticipating his return. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.